0: What groups are people identifying with? How are they working with other functions? So, for example, the risk function. How safe or how able do people feel to raise challenges or problems? To what extent are management listening to those problems? That's the hardest part about our work because almost our success measure is the absence of a negative. How do you show the value of what you're doing? Because it's something bad not happening. (laughs)
1: Welcome to A Load of BS, a practitioner's guide to the BS galaxy with me, Daniel Ross. What does social identity mean in a bank and why does it matter? How do payment journeys influence customer behaviour? Why do we behave differently online versus in a bricks and mortar shop? Well, these are the questions and providing the answers is Alex Chesterfield. Head of Behavioural Risk at NatWest Group, where she and her team develop innovative data-led ways to reduce the risk of poor outcomes for the bank and customers, which result from behavioural root causes. Now, Alex has also just regained her student card. As of September, she started a part-time PhD at the London School of Economics. And she is also the author of the highly acclaimed Polls Apart, Why People Turn Against Each Other and How to Bring Them Together clearly a book for our times now today is the seventh episode in my series of very practical podcasts on the life of behavioral scientists their challenges their work and how they think about the future of the industry and as ever i'm very proud to say that i'm doing all this in combination with my partner be works the very best in the business as a consultant uh, in behavioral science co-founded by of course dan ariely and nina mazar they are a multidisciplinary team of behavioural scientists and psychologists. They are working on the most complex of challenges across industries like financial services, healthcare, sustainability, and they help businesses reimagine what a future can look like in which individuals flourish and prosper. So if you're interested in what they're up to, you might check out their Be Curious blog on their website at beworks.com or drop their CEO order Malika Line or her team at info at beworks.com. They'll be delighted to hear from you. So buckle up, guys. We're talking internal audit and it is great stuff. Alex, welcome to a load of BS with the practitioners. It's great to have you here today and learn about your behavioural science journey.
0: Thank you. I'm really excited to be here.
1: Fantastic. Now, apart from having held various roles in the field of behavioral science from NatWest Bank, where you are now, of course, to the Financial Conduct Authority, to Which Magazine, you've also written the book, Polls Apart, last year, which on why people rather divide and how to bring them back together, an alarmingly topical theme in today's volatile and divided world. So I wanted to ask you first, what is it about what makes people tick, their tribalism and partisanship, or indeed their willingness for collaboration and partnership that really interests you?
0: Yeah, so I was really politically active in my earlier years, less so now with kids and the current political climate. But I remember knocking on doors and I'd have my youngest daughter, who's now seven. She was, you know, one or two at the time in a pushchair. And the conversation would start off really cordially. Uh, People were very interested. We'd have conversations about, you know, how I could help in a local area, often touching on things like potholes. And then when I disclosed the party that I was canvassing for, there was a noticeable shift in the conversation. And I've been sworn out, I've been spat out, I've had bricks thrown at me just because of that, I guess, that group identity. So that's what got me really interested. Well, what is it? You know, people like me on a personal level, we had a great conversation. When I disclosed my tribe, to use the word that you said that was when things turned really sour so that's what got me interested in why do people react in this way and at a much more material global level what does that mean for progress on some of the world's biggest issues when people who identify with different parties or different positions really hate each other which therefore means they can't talk to each other
1: wow so you have seen that polarization for yourself on the front lines Back to the work that you're doing now. I and mean, when we think about what most behavioral scientists do, we often think about clever nudges to customers, which encourage them to say, buy more stuff or pay bills on time, eat more healthy food, consume less energy, or get vaccinated. You know, while NatWest Bank, I think, does have this kind of customer facing team, it's not your precise focus because your job title is head of behavioral risk and your responsibility is therefore internal facing. And as I understand it, it's about creating an environment which safeguards against bad. Outcomes for the organisation. So, what does this mean in real terms? And maybe share with us the sorts of thorny challenges that either you're dealing with at the bank on a day to day basis, or that you've been dealing with in your career so far, more widely.
0: I lead a team called Behavioural Risk, which sits in Group Internal Audit, and we are quite, um, we were quite unique, but now there are many more banks and other institutions outside financial services setting up teams in either audit or risk functions. Based on the idea that when things go wrong in organisations or systems, you can see it currently, I think in the UK, the root cause is at least partly behavioural. So the purpose of my team is to reduce the risk of poor outcomes for the bank or our customers' that arise from behavioral root causes. And part of the value we bring also is that, you know, helping to support the bank's long-term sustainable growth. And we do work very closely with our behavioral science team, which sits in the business that does probably more the kind of traditional behavioral science work that people typically associate with behavioral science teams. And we use a range of tools and methods, so from randomized controlled trials, surveys, increasingly quasi-experiments, which I can talk more about later, to try and figure out, how are our colleagues behaving, how are our customers behaving, what's driving those behaviours, and then actually what risk might that drive for the organisation. And that could be things like strategic risk, so, for example, the bank not executing its strategy. It could be financial crime risk, so the bank not managing financial crime and customers getting frauded or scammed, for example.
1: Understood. I mean, actually, it makes me think about the insurance world a little, which is something that I know a bit about. And In that environment, we try to think far more about prevention ahead of protections. So I'm wondering, maybe you can tell us a little more about the sorts of tools and frameworks or even quasi experiments that you use to actually keep track of what employees are doing, maybe versus what we think they're doing.
0: Yeah, spot on about, I guess, that forward-looking. That's a really key principle of the team. So we try and preempt poor outcomes. We don't go in and look at, you know, why have things gone wrong or looking for current problems. It's very much what's currently happening and then what future issues might arise because of that. So, yeah, it's very, very similar to the, kind of that healthcare model, like prevention is better than cure. So we, in terms of the tools and frameworks, I'll give you a couple of examples. So where the team started off was very much looking at subcultures in the bank, so very targeted reviews looking at specific areas of the bank, um, almost at that local culture. And to do that, we use a combination of of qualitative and quantitative methods, and often we'll then apply the theory. So once we've figured out, well, what are the common patterns of behaviours or the behavioural norms in this particular area of the bank, we'll then bring in the kind of theory. So for example, we might look at Social identity theory So what groups Are people identifying with How are they working With other functions So for example The risk function How safe Or how able Do people feel To raise challenges Or problems To what extent Are management Listening to those problems I mean they're all Huge literatures In their own right But we'll apply that Then to the Empirical data Or the research Just to try and build A picture of what Is happening in that area And critically What is driving Those behaviours And mindsets In that area And when we look At drivers That's where Again Again, we often refer to the literature but it could be things like the way targets or goals are designed it could be more informal drivers so for example who gets it could be around status or power or around styles or patterns of communication so there's a whole again a whole bunch of drivers that can be quite context specific to that local area of the bank and then we'll look at well what outcomes might that drive if these behaviors and mindsets continue that's the hardest part about our work because Almost our success measure is the absence of a negative. And that is, I mean, it's a really interesting kind of problem. It's a bit similar to regulation. Like, how do you show the value of what you're doing? Because it's something bad not happening.
1: (laughs) Exactly, because it made me think you were talking about improving performance and targets, because I wanted to question, is there actually or could there be really another role for your team beyond mitigating against negative outcomes, say, to promote more positive outcomes for the organization, like fostering innovation and creativity or enhancing performance, as you touched on, or improving employee well-being and productivity?
0: Definitely. And that's increasingly, I think, a part of our agenda is looking at how do we, again, through that lens, through that behavioral lens that we bring, how do we support the bank's long-term sustainable growth? I'll give you another example of something, you know, of work we do or starting to do around customer journeys. So again, looking at the design of customer journeys, you know, the sequencing of information that the, what behavioral scientists call the choice architecture, how is information presented to customers that, in, that will then influence how they make a decision? And one, I guess, area we've been interested in looking at is in customer journeys, to what extent are they designed to help you know, reduce the risk of our customers getting frauded or scammed, which is a massive, a societal level, but also an individual level, has huge emotional and financial costs for customers. So again, we can apply that behavioral science lens, looking at, well, how do we encourage customers to take actions or behave in a particular way that might safeguard them getting frauded and scammed? So for example, you know, putting in extra privacy or extra controls into their journeys, and then if for example, they are at risk of getting frauded and scammed, again, how might we design that payment journey or how might that payment journey be designed in a way that really helps customers to pause or reflect in their payment journeys before they might actually get frauded?
1: So in any of those examples, maybe just bring to life what the sort of measures that you look for in terms of success. I wondered if it's a bit like the cliche of the good football referee, which is to say that if nobody is talking about them, they've probably done a good job. So in a sense, if the measures are rather sort of quiet and under the radar, if nothing much is happening, is that a good sign? Or are there more sort of obvious active measures that you're looking for to determine good outcomes?
0: So in that example, I mean, the outcome is, the, I guess, the probability of customers getting frauded or scammed. That's quite a, a kind of concrete measure. Or another measure might be, again, the efficacy of campaigns or you know education or in, you know, information sent to customers to help increase, I guess, awareness or the behaviors that customers can take to help protect them from getting scammed and frauded. So, again, they're concrete behavioral measures. It might be engagement. It might be click through. It might be actually you know, changing their functions in an app or taking another behavior that, again, we can observe and then measure.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think when we think about ethics, particularly in a bank. I think from my experience, and I used to work in a bank at one time, I think one of the challenges, say with most ethics training, is that it fails to engage participants because most people see themselves as already quite ethical and therefore dismiss this sort of training and thinking it's not relevant to them. And so therefore there's this issue that a lot of the risk initiatives, which are designed to eliminate poor behaviour instead of trying to leverage, as I think as you refer to, our self-identity as an ethical person and our social need to feel really good about ourselves. And I wonder whether that's a sort of quandary that you guys are thinking about.
0: Well, often the challenges is when things don't turn out as expected. I mean, that's how we define poor outcomes: is anything that's undesirable, unanticipated, or unwanted. Is often people want to hold someone up. It's something called the fundamental attribution area when I hold a single individual accountable. But often it's much more complex, and rarely does anyone. I mean, I've never come across this. Does anyone ever set out to cause you know harm or cause a poor outcome? It's often, I said, I'm very much unintended, and as a result of complex systems. And on the customer journey side, some of this is just so new you know how customers behave online versus in a bricks and mortar world is really new for behavioral scientists across the board so we're all I guess we're learning as very much learning as we go on.
1: Absolutely I mean how do different divisions of the bank treat and perceive you? Do some block where others welcome your interventions? Where do you find cynicism if at all?
0: Yes, that's a good question. So there is a lot of interest and curiosity in behavioral science and how it can be applied to help the bank grow in a safe and sustainable way, which I think is great. So that really helps because we were able to provide a lot of insight on, you know, why things are happening the way they are. And again, with that future focus or that forward looking look, actually, if you change X, this might generate Y. But of course... There is definitely a messenger effect. So, you know, audit coming in often has a stereotype of being like the police, which I really hate. And I need to think, we need to think of a new metaphor actually for audit. Definitely not like policemen. So naturally we do face into that. So actually this is where I think learnings from the book can sometimes apply. So often, you know, rather than, making my identity as a person or leader in audit very salient I would try and highlight well do you know what we all work for the same organization so that shared identity and also highlight or make very salient the shared goals so we all want the same thing and this is you know we're coming from different angles we're coming from different functions but this is our shared goal and only by working together can we actually achieve that shared goal
1: yeah, absolutely. I wanted to actually ask. You touched on obviously NatWest has also another behavioural science team focusing on you know sort of customer behaviour. But is then part of your role to be if you like a kind of ethics advisor or a nudge and sludge checker to your behavioural science colleagues who are designing products and customer journeys in the bank? In other words, do you work quite
0: closely with those colleagues? Yeah, the work is typically very targeted, but yes, some of our work would include or involve potentially looking at, well, actually, how have they used behavioral science? Yeah, and, and what outcomes is that driving? But increasingly, when we have done work and maybe highlighted, you know, these are potential issues in the way a customer journey is designed or the way a local subculture is currently happening, they will then, well, the, the main value I think they provide is then coming in and working with that business area to support the longer term change, because changing behavior is really, really hard. And often what happens, is, you know, compliance teams will get involved and they'll often say, right, well, a training, we need to solve this problem, we'll roll out a training problem. Sorry, we'll roll out a training program. And actually rarely is a training program the solution because the assumption is, is that people don't know. And often not knowing yeah, that's not normally the problem. So where the behavioral science team comes in is providing greater expertise on how to solve or fix potentially the problems that we're trying to preempt.
1: Understood. And thinking about your role within internal audit, I wonder, how do you make sure that you're hearing voices from top to bottom of the bank so that you're managing behavioural risk and able to then identify where new checks and balances might be required?
0: Yeah, so we will increasingly work with our audit colleagues. For example, who might look at governance or I guess more traditional areas of audit like compliance with existing policies and standards. And we will bring behavioural lens, um, less looking at actually compliance or more looking at the fundamentals of that policy. Like actually, is it designed in a way and is it implemented in a way that is in line with how people behave rather than designed for kind of idea of how people behave, which is often not realistic.
1: Got it. So looking already to the next frontier, perhaps, where Where do you see the next frontier for your team? What's really exciting ahead?
0: Yes, I think the FCA has just recently announced, well, actually last week, or was it this week, it's final rules on consumer duty. So the consumer duty is basically, it's kind of a game changer in terms of regulation, or it's been described as a paradigm shift to get customer outcomes really at the forefront of in financial services. And I think behavioral biases, I know the draft consultation was mentioned something like 40 times. So for me, obviously, this is hugely important for financial services across the board. But I think audit and risk functions have, again, a really important role to play in that. Um, Less looking at processes, which is what I think typically audit or risk functions might look at, but it's much more outcomes. What outcomes are our products and services uh, leading to? And this is where quasi kind of experimental methods or rcts can really come in so the expectation in the consumer duty is this whole idea of symmetry or proportionality so the kind of techniques and methods you know marketing or more commercial behavioral science teams might traditionally use to design products you know get kind of click-through rates you know search engine optimization etc those kinds of approaches will be used for good customer outcomes so are we using those same techniques and methods, for example, to drive good customer understanding? Like how do we use behavioral science to figure out, well, actually, how do we get T's and C's out from the back pages where no one works to a place where they are more salient, where customers do understand them and they're made desirable and attractive? So I think that's a massive opportunity. And again, just to touch on this quasi-experimental methods point. So. Just for people who are thinking, what the hell does that mean? Um, in a perfect world, I think we'd always use randomised controlled trials. So we'd manipulate or vary what somebody sees to see, well, what impact does that have on a particular outcome? But that's not always feasible to do. So what kind of quasi-experimental methods do is like the next best thing. And that leverages historic data. So, for example... That might be customers' interaction data or transaction data, or it could be all the kind of HR data that organizations collect on performance and promotion decisions. We can use that and, using some clever statistics, figure out... What the impact of a particular event or a particular change in the way something was designed or a policy or a communication, what the impact of that was on a particular group of customers or on a particular outcome? Like, for example, our customers paying more than the minimum off their credit card?
1: It's interesting when you talk about regulation, of course, one starts thinking about this balance between rules versus principles. And I think when I reflect on what you do, I think one of the challenges for you know risk managers or call it culture change managers is about how you design better workplace slash customer journey environments that enable behavior change to happen naturally, if that's possible. And so I wonder whether the extent to which the bank or organizations you've worked with try to follow that approach in harness with impact implementing and tracking rules and processes.
0: Definitely, I don't think you can look at one without the other. So, actually, at the FCA where I was before joining NatWest, I was in the behavioural economics team, and the team initially was focused much more on consumer behaviour across different markets and how the rules of the game or how regulation might need to change to affect downstream outcomes. So, how might you design better? I don't know pricing so customers understand that you know one product might be a lot more cost-effective or cheaper than another product. For example. But increasingly, we realize, actually, you also need to look at, yeah, firm behavior and culture and the system that they're operating in, which involves both the formal aspects like incentives, targets, goals, um, et cetera, but also the informal. So things like group dynamics, trust, communication, leadership behaviors. So it really is both sides of the same coin. So try to take that same approach in the NatWest behavioral risk team. So not just looking at upstream at organisational culture. and um, Well, again, culture, I think, is one of those nebulous concepts. Let's look at behaviours, common patterns of behaviours and what's driving those behaviours across the organisation, but also more downstream at the journeys, product, services we're designing for customers. I don't think you can have one without the other.
1: That's a great end of the stick to grab onto. It makes a lot of sense. So with that, Alex, let me thank you so much for joining the conversation and sharing so much about your behavioural science world and getting insights into how a large, multi-tentacled organisation Manages and regulates itself gives our listeners an alternative perspective. Since much of the dialogue on this podcast focuses on customer or individual behavior, this is, if you like, or correct me if this is the wrong term, but like the behavioral plumbing. And I suspect it incorporates some of the less sexy experiments, but without it, our corporate landscape would be farther weaker and less sustainable. So, Alex, thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Daniel.
1: I really like this conversation with Alex as it gives us a complementary perspective on very consumer facing behavioral science practices, which as we heard Nat West Group has too. Alex's starting point is about anticipating risks and bad outcomes rather than necessarily thinking about how to sell more product. Clearly there's overlap with behavioral science as we know it as Alex's work is certainly about making customers' lives better too. Now, Next week on the show I welcome Dave Thompson, VP and Head of Practice and Sustainability Lead at BE Works. We talk about what actions companies and governments can take to shift citizen behaviours to more eco-friendly alternatives. So for example energy consumption reduction, food waste reduction, sustainable agriculture and sustainable transportation. Interestingly just this year the International Panel on Climate Change acknowledged for the first time That technology alone will not offset climate change. We need widespread citizen behaviour change as well. Now, lastly, as always, if you enjoy these podcasts, please do leave me a five-star review on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your support is what makes us tick. Thank you and see you next time.